to a sinner's cross. He broke my shame and sinfulness. He rose again, victorious. Faithfulness none can deny. Through the storm and through the fire, there is truth that sets me free. Jesus Christ, who lives in me, you are stronger, you are stronger, sin is broken, you have saved me, it is written, Christ is risen, Jesus, you are Lord of all, no beginning and no end, you're my hope and my defense, you came to see and save the lost, you paid it all upon the cross, you are stronger, you are stronger, sin is broken, you have saved me, it is written, Christ is risen, Jesus you are Lord of all, so let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. You bad. 
and love at the feet of Jesus we cry holy 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 we cry holy 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 we cry holy holy holy, holy is the
Good morning, church. Welcome to Preston Crest. It's so great to see everybody here in your desire to worship our God, our Father, whether you're here in person or watching us virtually online. If you're visiting with us, we're particularly glad you're here, and we'd like to meet you at the end of service. And just thank you for being here and, and get to know you better. As we do each week, we'd ask our members and registered returning visitors to text the word to check in to 469-476-5331 as it lets us know who all has joined and whether you're here in person or virtually. Also, there's QR codes on the uh, cards in the front back pew in front of you. We want to wish all the fathers happy Father's Day. We are so blessed to have wonderful fathers, grandfathers, and fathers-to-be at this church. We're blessed with great leadership in our families by the great example these men set. On a personal note, we have stopped celebrating Father's Day many years ago, and let me tell you why. 21 years ago, I was blessed with my oldest daughter, so we celebrated that first Father's Day. My second Father's Day, I had my second daughter. And then my third Father's Day, I had my son. So each Father's Day, I was adding to the family, so we decided Father's Day was the reason, so we stopped doing that in our family. <laughs> Preston Crest has been very busy this week serving communities both locally and in Oklahoma. PCYG invaded Oklahoma City this week, serving and ministering to the residents of that community. They helped many of those residents repair homes, paint houses, and just share the love of Jesus with them. We're so thankful that they've arrived back safely and that they had a very meaningful time sharing Jesus, growing closer to Jesus, and also growing closer to each other. Also yesterday, a group of members served in the Hamilton Park uh, part of Dallas with Transform Dallas, doing similar projects by helping residents who were in need for some simple repairs. Harding professor Dr. Max Sandlin will speak to a combined group of Bible classes next week at 945 in the Discover Adults Room. Anyone is welcome to attend and hear Dr. Sandlin teach on who is the Holy Spirit. Before we pray, hear these words from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them about when you sit at home and when you're walking along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the freedoms we have to worship you this morning and the freedoms we have in Christ Jesus. We acknowledge you as the Lord our God, provider and one true God over all things. May we express our love and devotion to you with all our hearts, souls, and strength. May we follow your commands and teach them to our children daily. Father, I want to thank you for this community of believers who worship and serve here at Preston Crest. We thank you for their commitment to following your teachings and the encouragement, support, and love they show each other and in our community. We are thankful for the opportunities we had this week to show the love of Christ in our communities through mission work, service projects, and outreach. Father, bless and protect our middle school as they go and serve, in, uh, serve strong this week in this community and protect them and keep them safe. Father, this morning we ask you to heal those who are struggling with their health.
those who are looking for jobs, grieving from recent loss, discouraged or have other needs. May we lean heavily into you in trying times and look to you for peace, comfort, and direction. Now, Father, I pray that you will bless this worship as we honor the one who selflessly gave up his life for our sins so that we can have eternal hope and eternal life. It is Jesus' holy name that we offer this prayer. Amen. All right, church, let's stand and let's, uh, let's offer our voices this morning in praise. I will
sorry, I know, I know. Changing it up on you a little bit here. You can't sit down for this next song as we enter into our communion time. We're going to sing, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Then Hunter Renfro is going to lead us around the bread and the cup. Then we'll be seated. My hope is built on nothing less for a second there. He's going to have you stand during communion, uh, which would be a new one for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 11, um, one that we read um, a lot during this time. Um, but I just want to read it for us and, and highlight um, here. So 1 Corinthians 11, 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, we usually stop there. I'm going to keep reading through the end of this um, section because I think it's so important. It says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body of the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you shall all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further uh, directions. 
Uh, this morning, as we, as we talked about, it's uh, a celebration of, of Father's Day where we're celebrating, we're remembering um, our dads in our lives. Um, it's also an important day, too, with, with Juneteenth falling on today uh, where we remember and celebrate um, the, the freedom uh, from finally freeing the slaves in this country. And I think it's, it's interesting to look at that we have these two days that we, we pause for a day and remember and, and reflect and celebrate. Um, and probably for, for a lot of you, you have tomorrow off, maybe for the first time, um, because of, of Juneteenth holiday now. Um, and so once a year, we, we take a break and, and remember and celebrate those times. And I think that's what's so great about communion is we get to do this weekly. Um, and sometimes I think that because of that, we could fall in the trap of making this such a routine and not remember what it's actually for. Um, I, I'm saying that to call myself out in that too. And, and I, I purposely read this, this rest of this verse from Paul because it's so important to realize how dangerous that can be just to make this a routine thing. And, and um, Paul is very strong words there of making sure we are doing this right and making this an important part of our of our week um, and so I just I just challenge you all to, to make this important today as we remember Jesus remember his sacrifice for us let's pray dear God I just, I just thank you um, for our time together where we can come together and and remember um, your son, and God, I'm so thankful for his sacrifice that he made for us, God. I'm thankful for um, his body and, and the bread and um, just the remembrance of him, God. In Jesus' name, amen. pray for the cup. God, we're, to, we're thankful for the cup and what it means, um, how Jesus poured out his blood for us, God, on the cross and, and gave us forgiveness of our, our sins, God. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you're here this morning and prepared to give an offering, you can just drop that in the box in the middle of the foyer or you can give online. However you choose to do that is, is good. Thank you for giving to the, to the works of this church. Let's, uh, let's bow. Father God, you are good. You are a good, good father. We thank you for how you love us. We thank you for how you bless us, how you give. And as we just remembered the gift of your son, we are thankful. So, Father, now we give. And I pray for what is given, that it would be such that your name is spread outside of these walls and not just spoken here today. That your name is proclaimed in this city. That your name is proclaimed in our neighborhoods. Father, may we take your word. May we take your hope outside of these walls. Bless us as we worship in giving. And bless us as we continue with this time of worship this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's watch our Good Works video. Hello, I'm Charlie Johnston, one of the elders, and I want to give you an update on one of our ministry areas that is often taken for granted, our facilities. Whether it is worship services, classes, and special events, or responding to crises like our recent freeze or high winds, we are fortunate to have these facilities well-maintained by our staff. Scott Wolf oversees these efforts with the help of Jim Wall, Tom Wenzel, and our facility deacons. We are now implementing advanced intelligence systems to better control the heating and air conditioning of our auditorium and classrooms and pursuing clean air systems to eliminate flu, virus, and other contaminants in our environment. Renovations have been completed in our children's and nursery areas and many classrooms have been upgraded with new audiovisual equipment. Additional video surveillance cameras have also been installed to assist our security teams. Thanks for your generosity, Preston Crest, in making these things possible. couple of things I want to remind you of. We are tying a prayer quilt this morning in the foyer. You can uh, just step over there at the conclusion of our time this morning and, and pray for the family of Rachel Duncan. Rachel lost her battle with cancer this week, so we are still going to tie that quilt and we're going to lift up her family uh, as you do that this week. And I want to remind you that at 6 o'clock tonight, we'll have a, a, a devotional time here just for a, a short time. And then we'll dismiss and go pack medicine and, and share a meal together. I've ordered the pizzas. I've got veggie pizza. I've got meat pizza. I've got, it. I've got them all coming tonight. So y'all come on back, have some supper with us, and help us uh, prepare these medicines for our Guatemala trip tonight at 6 o'clock. Let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. And we'll sing one more, and then Gordon's going to come share with us this morning. That's why we praise Him. That's why we sing.
Got some pretty flowers up here today from the Alvin Neve service yesterday. We're thankful that we can enjoy those. Uh, yeah, so it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. And I think Father's Day for pizza, I want triple meat, double gluten, right? <laughs> it's a double gluten pizza. I think that's called thick crust pizza, so take some of that. Uh, <laughs> I love Juneteenth, by the way. I'd never heard of Juneteenth until I got to Texas, and now it's an actual official federal holiday. I think that's a good and right thing. But, you know, some of the holidays, you try to make these connections to, like, spiritual things or biblical themes. This one is not hard at all. I mean, uh, it was declared, uh, slavery was abolished, freedom was declared, and the news was sent out. And at the Cross of Calvary, we've already celebrated this morning, uh, our slavery to sin was, was abolished and freedom was declared. And we have this new relationship with Jesus. And now we as his witnesses get to go around and bring that news, bring that light to places that may not have heard the good news yet. So I'm grateful for Juneteenth and what it represents. Uh, back in 1865 here in Texas, that news came. But yeah, happy Father's Day. And as we wrap up the Dear Lord series this morning... We're going to talk about a man's man. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 5, there's this guy named Naaman, and he was a Syrian army general. In fact, the head of the general staff there over the armies of the king of Syria or Aram. Your text may say those are the same thing. Aramean Syrians were the same at that point. Uh, so he's going to model for us this morning an important lesson about prayer, an important lesson about faith, and that is that faith and behavior go together. They are not separate things. When you believe God's word, you follow God's word. And so we'll start our story in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Naaman commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So we've got a lot of information there. We're told he's a man's man, man of valor, a fighter, successful uh, when he went to war, he won, you know, and he's the kind of guy, dudes, that we would want to have at, at the poker table with us. He's the guy, one a guy, kind of guy we'd want to have on, on the foursome on the golf course, just an interesting guy, successful in all the ways, you know, famous, uh, wealthy, had risen up in the ranks, was now commanding all of these men, just a successful person, but he was a leper. He had this skin disease, a progressively worsening skin disease leprosy. Um, probably it wasn't too far gone at this point in his story because we see that he still has very social relationships. He's still interacting with his family and with the king. Uh, so probably not too far gone. Not so painful that he couldn't fulfill his duties as commander of the armed forces there. But at some point it would be. We know this disease would get progressively worse. At some point, he would even have to be ostracized or, you know, medical term, uh, quarantined so that it wouldn't spread to those people around him. I think that opening verse is just a good reminder to us. As we list off his accomplishments and his high character, the Bible just kind of reminds us that he had this struggle, probably not everyone knew about. 
Um, and I think all people have these struggles. Some of them are visible and public and everyone knows what you're going through. Oftentimes they are more private, uh, perhaps even hidden struggles. But everybody, no matter how successful and how much it looks like they've got it all figured out, everybody has their wound and their struggle, which means everybody needs the grace and favor of God. There is nobody, no king, no president, no CEO, no house cleaner, no dishwasher. There's no person who does not need the grace and favor of God. From the high achiever to the down and out. Verses 2 to 5. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress... Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Syria. This is going to be Elisha. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, told the king. Thus and so the, the girl from the land of Israel spoke. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to go with you to the king of Israel. So you're free to go and seek this cure, this remedy for your illness. So we've got this girl. And she is employed by Naaman's wife, and she obviously holds her mistress's husband in, in high esteem because she wants him to get better. She wants him to do well. She wants his sickness to be healed. So she says, not that I have a remedy or I have a, 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 a medical compound or ointment. She says, simply, I know a guy. <laughs> I know this guy, uh, Elisha, who, who can help back home. And she is really, I think, the unsung hero of Naaman's story. If she does not share this bit of information, he doesn't get better, right? If she doesn't speak up and say, I know a guy, then he is stuck in this same situation and just going to watch it get worse and worse. There are, look, there are things that we can do for our friends and neighbors. We had a group that just got back from Oklahoma City. Thank you, young people, for going and serving there. We had a group here serving in neighborhoods right near here in Dallas, our neighbors in Dallas yesterday. Uh, thank you for that. We got a group that's going to go to Guatemala and do medical clinics and maybe even see some diseases like, like the one Naaman had, I don't know, and help out. Um, one thing we can do, though, even when we can't help, when we don't practically know what to do, we can say like she did, yeah, I know a guy. Everything we do, every good work, every act of kindness, every thoughtful comment, every prayer that we offer, we are pointing people to Jesus. We're saying, I may not be able to help in this situation, but I know a guy. I know a guy who came to redeem you and set you free. So first order of business for Naaman well, let's, let's just call that out. One of the best things I can do for people is to point them to the Lord. One of the first orders of business for Naaman is once you get to Israel, you need to take this letter from the Syrian king to the Israelite king. Why? To say, I'm not invading, right? I mean, I'm the, I'm the commander of the Syrian armies. He's got chariots. He's got horses. He's got soldiers. Naturally, they're going to think, you're invading, and he's like, I'm not here on a mission to destroy or to take. I am looking for healing here. And the letter from the Syrian king said to the Israelite king, help Naaman get healed. And it kind of scared him. He, he, his response to that letter was essentially, don't kill me. Because he could not help Naaman. And he didn't have a particularly good relationship with Elisha, this prophet. 
but Naaman's like, no, 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 I'm not here to hurt anybody. And he does get connected with Elisha. And uh, so we're able to pick up. But he comes with this impressive entourage into Israel. All these men, all these horses, these chariots, millions of dollars. I mean, there was silver and gold, which would be millions of dollars in today's money. But he's got to establish that contact with the king. And then he heads off to the house of the prophet. And I want you to just imagine in your mind's eye what it looked like and sounded like as these horses and these chariots thunder up in all of this Syrian finery. And Naaman himself steps up to the door of Elisha, the prophet. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. And I think that's interesting, because we have this impressive caravan of soldiers that shows up at the door of Elisha's house, complete with ancient battle tanks, a.k.a chariots and they're knocking on the prophet's door and the prophet does not even personally come to talk to Naaman. He sends one of his servants. He sends a messenger to relate the message about how the healing is going to take place. Now this is the first domino, if you will, in a series of things that happens that irritate, frustrate, and then anger Naaman. So we'll pick it up. Listen closely. 2 Kings 5, 11 and 12. Naaman was angry. And he went away saying, so I picture him just kind of muttering to himself. Behold, I thought he would surely come out. So I'd get a little personal attention here. He would come out. He would stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. He would wave his hand over my skin, you know, over that place and cure the leper. And are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Have you ever turned and gone away in a rage? I bet you have. And perhaps the reason that you turned and went away in a rage was this reason. Expectations not met. Um, And in Naaman's case, he was not only frustrated, he was infuriated. And those words that we have there in verse 11 are the words, I thought. You know, when we think things should go a certain way, we have Uh, problems sometimes, and we get angry when those thoughts, those expectations are not met. He had very very distinct and specific ideas about how this scenario was going. The prophet is going to come out, right? He's going to wave his hand like this. He's going to say the magic words, calling on the name of his God. Um, And presto, I am going to be better. And he had millions of dollars, the equivalent, to like pay for this. He had exactly nailed down how this was going to work. And it did not happen like he thought it would happen or should happen. I mean, doesn't Elisha know who I am? How about a little respect? for the general of the Syrian armies and coming and 
personally talking to me. And come on, man. The Jordan River. By the way, I've seen the Jordan River. Honestly, not all that impressive. I know it's significant in the Old Testament. And the New Testament. Not all that impressive. If you were to just see the Jordan River. We got better rivers in Syria. The Far Far. I like that name, the Far Far. That's a good name. Far Far. And the Abana. We got those rivers. And so think about it. How nearly was this fellow Naaman, how nearly was he not healed? How nearly was his, sa- his fate sealed? Because his expectations were not met and he was angry. Our expectations and our preferences, we all have them We need to be careful about those and not hold them too closely. What seems reasonable to you, what seems comfortable to you, don't hold on to that too tightly because we want to line up not with what we think, but with what he thinks. Amen? As followers of Christ, we want to line up not with what we think, but with what he thinks. By the way, if God thinks all the same things you think, right? If, if your Jesus has all the same opinions and preferences that you have, then probably you're Lord and he's working for you instead of vice versa. Like he needs to challenge you. He needs to make you uncomfortable. At times he's going to call you to do some things that are not what you thought you would be doing. Right? That's what discipleship is all about. So Naaman, he turns away. He goes in a rage. And I was just thinking a good question to just kind of ponder here. What stubborn attitude, and I may need to pray about this, like I may not see this, I may be blind to this, Holy Spirit help me with this. What stubborn opinion or attitude do I have that's holding me back from God's blessing? Where in my life am I turning left when God is saying turn right? Where in my life am I saying no when he's saying yes or I'm saying yes and he's saying no? Is there a place in my life where frankly I am acting like I know better than God? So, no sex outside of marriage? I mean, really? So antiquated, so old-fashioned. I I think I know better than God on that one. Tithing, you're saying I need to give like 10% or more of my income to the work of the church. I think I know how to manage my money better than those local church leaders know how to handle my money. Um, Forgive that person. You have no idea what that person did to me. If you knew what they did to me, you would understand I won't ever forgive them for what they did. Where is it that God is calling you to something that makes you uncomfortable, that is not what you think you should be doing? So, here's what I love about Naaman. So, we see a little bit of pride. We see a little bit of anger. We see a little bit of just humanity here. Some of the stuff we all deal with. What I love about him is the next thing. He changed his mind What I love about Naaman was he could look at the facts on the ground and say, I was wrong. 
I love the way he was adapting in this story. And by the way, this is leadership. This man is a leader. You kind of get a clue here of how does he rise through the ranks? Why does everybody like respect and admire this guy? He was wise. And part of that was the ability to change his mind. So faith, by the way, just a a little reminder, a little footnote here. Faith sometimes involves following God's word, even when I don't have all my questions answered. Sometimes I may think this, but God is thinking something else. And I may not, I don't totally get that God, but I'm going to go with you, Lord. I'm going to follow you. So two things happen here. One is that his servants, and I think this tells us a little bit about him, his servants actually care about him, right? I mean, they could just sit back and say, "Eh, he's angry, he wants to go back to Syria, fine. Let him suffer, let the disease take him. They care about him, they don't want that to happen to Naaman. The second thing we see happening here is that Naaman listens to his servants, He changes his mind. I love this. Good leaders do this. Wise humans do this. And I would say this. I don't think I'm going to get much of a fight in the year 2022. I don't know that holding our opinions loosely is something that's necessarily celebrated these days. I don't know that flexibility is necessarily something that's honored these days. I mean, we call that politician, that, that, he's a flip-flopper. She's a flip-flopper. You can't try. I think it's good to adapt and reevaluate and change your mind. Anyway, Naaman does this. It starts when he listens to the counsel of a foreign servant girl working in his household and then obviously listens to his wife who relates this information to him. It happens when he listens to his servants, verses 13 and 14. His servants came near, so he's angry. He's headed back to Syria, man. They came near and they said to him, my father... It's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? So essentially what we've got here is, hey, Naaman, if this prophet had asked you to do some awesome feat, of do, do 400 push-ups, let's do some bench presses, let's climb that mountain to get healed, you need to take your sword and go fight those, those enemies over there all by yourself. If, they had asked, if he had asked you to do something great, valiant, you would have been like, I'm down with that. But he asked you to go dip in the Jordan. Simple, easy, no big deal. And and you're not willing to do it. Wash and be clean. You're not going to do that. I love this. He doesn't even say a word. You just kind of see him. Yeah. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. According to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. I mean, the correction from his underlings, from his staffers, was so simple and so reasonable. If Elisha had told you to do this great thing, you would have done it. He's telling you to do this really small thing, like 10-minute thing here. And you're not going to do it. And he's like, you're right. You're right. Um, I've let my pride get the best of me. So I'm going to pitch this to the men this morning. This is Father's Day. Now, this applies to everybody, but go with me on this, especially to the men. I've got a word for you from the story. 
A real man is one who thoughtfully considers the wise counsel of the people who care about him. Real men listen. And footnote here, I don't have a slide for this one. A real man will then be willing to change his mind at certain times. That is what biblical masculinity that is being a wise man. It applies to men and women, obviously. But I think today, in our time, oh, there's this idea that oh, masculinity, being a man, that is tantamount to being stubborn and convicted, and I'm always right, and being a little loud and a lot aggressive. That's dumb, and that's dangerous. I mean, if Naaman had followed that line, like, I'm not going to do what that prophet said. I, you're going to get worse. You kind of follow that out. If he, had, if he had lived that way, he didn't get better. He got worse. At some point, difficult to even, even clothe himself because his skin hurt so bad. At some point, the disease would have progressed where he couldn't have hugged his children, couldn't have been with his wife, couldn't have done his duties because he would have been considered contagious. That would have been his story. If he had not listened and said, yeah, changed his mind. So he went to the Jordan River. He dipped himself seven times following the word that was sent to him from the Lord. His leprosy was healed. It really was beyond healed. I mean, like his skin was mint condition. I imagine not only is the leprosy gone, but like battle scars are suddenly healed. Maybe some pock marks from a childhood illness or acne or something. It is all gone. I mean, he was radiant. Like, what did you do? How did you get this way? He looked amazing. Had the skin of a young child. I love that. So let's get something straight. I mean, I don't, I don't think you're going to be surprised by this, but it's just good to point out as we work through the details in the story. This bit about the Jordan River. <laughs> were there or are there special healing properties in the chemical composition of the Jordan River? Nah. Was he right to some extent? Those rivers in Syria are the same or in some quantifiable ways, maybe even better than the Jordan. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing, spe the healing did not come because of that water. It came because of God, because he said, this is what I want you to do. That was where the healing was going to come from. What about the number seven? So is there something magical about the number of seven? I mean, there are these numbers that occur in the Bible, seven, 12, you know, 10. They're kind of, not really. Let me put it another way. Could God have healed him with three baptisms, three dips in the Jordan River? Could God have healed him with one dip in the Jordan? Could, could God have healed him with no dips at all? Just spoken a word like he does all throughout Scripture and boom, he's better. Of course. It wasn't about the number seven. It wasn't about how special the Jordan River is. It's about how special God is and about how important it is to be in a correct relationship with God where he's God and I'm his worshiper. He's Lord and I'm his 
follower. In this case, part of the healing of this man was to lower himself and recognize God is God. Not me. He calls the shots. Not me. It's not what I think. It's what God thinks. And so this whole story of Naaman just exemplifies throughout how biblical faith and behavior go together. If I believe in God, I follow God. If I have faith, then I have acts of faith. The New Testament, in in typical bluntness, James in his book wrote in James chapter 1 verse 22, he said, guys, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Think about that. Like, is it possible, James, that I'm reading my Bible every day? Is it possible, James, that I'm sitting and listening to sermons every week and I'm fooling myself? Yeah, it is. If I read and listen and dig into God's Word and nothing ever changes, I never do anything differently than I'm just, I'm just fooling myself. That's not faith. Biblical faith is trust accompanied by behavior or belief accompanied by behavior. Naaman needed to put aside what he thought and follow God's instructions even when they didn't make a whole lot of sense to him, right? I mean, the result of the story is this miraculous restoration, this miraculous healing. And by the way, the deeper healing was below the surface of the skin. There was a spiritual transformation going on. He enters the land of Israel, a pagan, a worshiper of Rimon, this pagan God. And he leaves Israel believing there is only one God, Worthy of my worship. Listen to this. Verses 15 to 16. He returned to the man of God. So he and Elisha finally get there face to face. He and all his company. He came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but your God. No God but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. Out comes the silver, out comes the gold. But he, Elisha said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it. And Elisha refused. Isn't that something? He's received his miracle. He pulls out the equivalent of millions of dollars. And Elisha is like, is like, no thanks. It was so important that Naaman realized he did not purchase this. He did not earn this cure. He was not in a negotiation with God. He was just a desperate, lost person receiving grace and favor from the Lord. I have to tell you, um, as I think about that and Elisha's response, if someone came up to me and said, hey, preacher Gordon, You prayed for my tumor three months ago. It's gone. I want to give you a million bucks. My response, um, here's the routing number to my checking account. Um, I accept Venmo or PayPal, you know. I don't know that I would have the same response. 
that Elisha had. But uh, I respect it. Naaman needed to know. He, he contributed nothing to this. Verses 17 to 19, Naaman said, I love this. Okay, if you're not going to take my money, let there be given to me, your servant, two mule loads of earth. A lot of Israeli, Israeli soil here. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, he had these official duties, which included accompanying the king of Syria to that pagan temple. When that happens, I bow myself in the house of Rimon. I bow myself in the house of Rimon. The Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And I love Elisha's response. Yeah, go in peace. That's fine. So he becomes this worshiper of the God of Israel. He wants this, this earth because somehow to him it's going to be more meaningful. It's going to be symbolic for him. While he's worshiping and sacrificing to the one true God, he does it on the soil of Israel. And he says, Elisha, I'm going to have to do these things that I don't really want to do, but it's part of my job. I got this job. And Elisha's like, it's okay. Go in peace. By the way, as we wrap up this morning, did you know Jesus references Naaman? Isn't that interesting? Jesus in his teaching references this story and his miraculous healing. He does it in Luke 4 in a context. He's got these people around him who are religious insiders. Okay? We've got God-fearing Jews who know the Torah, who go to the temple or go to their local synagogue, and they are true believers. They're part of the chosen people. And, and Jesus told this story to say, you know, historically God has looked with favor on outsiders God has extended his grace and mercies to people who didn't belong. And so Jesus in Luke 4, he shocks his audience by reminding them of God caring for the widow at Zarephath. This Phoenician elderly woman who had no part in Israel's history, who was not a Jew. The land was going through a famine. People were struggling and God saw her need and took care of her. Saw that she made it through. And Naaman, you think there weren't other Jewish lepers at the time? Jesus says in Luke 4, 20, 4, 27, there were many. There were many lepers in Israel. Jewish lepers. So in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only the outsider, only Naaman, the Syrian, by the way, just how do you think Jesus' audience reacted to all of this? Yeah, they didn't like it too much. This is that part at the end of Luke 4, 27, where they grab Jesus and they haul him up to this cliff. They're going to push him over and kill him, and he slips through. But it was what they needed to hear. They didn't think God should be in the business of caring for those who weren't part of their group. They didn't think God should reach out and love and care for people who didn't belong but Jesus said he does, and he always has, even in the Old Testament. 
Now here's what I want you to hear this morning as we finish up. You may feel like an outsider. You may feel like you don't belong. I, I, my family didn't go to church when I was growing up. I mean, I don't know Genesis from Revelation. I don't know anything about the Bible. I, I don't know. I don't feel like I fit in. I would tell you, you're exactly the kind of person Jesus loves connecting with. Exactly the kind of person that Jesus extends a hand and the grace and favor of God to people like you. Whether you feel like you belong or not, you can choose to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. You can choose to say there is no Lord but you. And you can take a faith step in accordance with that choice. One of those steps, hey, man, this may make sense to you. You've studied it out in the Bible and you, you understand all the symbolism. And stuff. It may make no sense to you at all. Baptism. Yeah. Didn't make a lot of sense to Naaman that this is what God wants me to do. Yeah, I don't, I, no, not down with that. But he came around, didn't he? Didn't have to make sense to him. And in those same Jordan River waters, loads of people gave their lives to the Lord. Jesus himself, I was talking with somebody about this this morning. Jesus himself, he wasn't a sinner. He didn't need the forgiveness of sin. He didn't need to repent of sins. But as a model to us, as an example to us, he went to that same river and he dipped. He was baptized. And so whether you understand it, I've heard people tell me, I just don't think I need to be baptized. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't. Do you care about what he thinks? And Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. It's enough for me. Thank you, Lord. Maybe this morning you just need the prayers of this church. Um, we all have wounds. Some of them are visible. Some of them our neighbors know about. Some of them are kind of hidden and quiet. Will you come before the throne of God and ask for his help? You can come pray with me, one of our shepherds. Pray with somebody around you this morning or your Bible class or your small group. Uh, we are a people of prayer here at Preston Crest. We would love to help you connect with God in whatever way we can this morning. So let's respond as we stand and worship his holy name together. This is my desire to
Again, we're so thankful that you chose to worship with us this morning. And Gordon, we appreciate your series on Dear Lord and helping us with our prayer lives. So uh, we'll move on to the Sermon on the Mount next week, which will be another exciting series. As we leave, before we leave, let's read this uh, take-home verse together, and then we will be dismissed. It comes from Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Go in peace.